going to VAR. They're checking. <laughs> hey, Connie. Check complete. Let's head over to the bar. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the VAR Bar podcast. It is, of course, episode 173 now. Still gets me every time. My name is Jake. I'm your resident Chelsea fan, and this week I have the absolute honour of hosting the boys. Well, I say the boys. There's only one of us. International break. We're all taking the week off, it seems. But, of course, I've got my guy here, C Strides. How are you doing, man? How's the international break been treating you? Yes, Jake. Obviously, uh, not the best, man. I'm... Uh... Usually I'd be away for football, but I've got an injury at the minute, so I'm a little bit bored, man. I'm I'm longing for the Premier League to come back because I'm not really a big fan of the internationals, to be honest. But yeah, well, man, it's, sometimes it's good to have a week off. Yeah, oh, mate. Yeah, I think the emotional distress is probably well. I mean, not this much this year for Spurs, given your form. But usually, like, just it's been all over the joint. Having a nice week off, yeah, it must be boring for you guys. Whereas for me, it's like right, okay, I can calm down before the um emotional roller coaster comes back. Um, I mean, how have you spent your week off? That's the main thing. If you've got the injury, you've not been able to do much. You've been able to get out and about. To be honest, man, I've been chilling. Like, had a friend's birthday over the weekend. Went out for dinner. Um, but football wise, man, I've just kind of taken myself away. Obviously, like you say, I think when you support a team and you're you're watching a team week in week out, it can be stressful, especially you know being a Chelsea fan. But obviously, I've enjoyed it. So I've just kind of just spent time with family, um, chilled out. And yeah, man, as well as kind of taking a step away from FPL because my start to the season has been tragic. So yeah, man, it's, it's, it's been a good break, but looking forward to the football coming back next week. Oh, mate, that FPL point, I could not agree more. And I cannot agree more. I mean, I was looking forward to my break. I was looking forward to having a nice week or two off and just sitting back, detoxing, getting away from it before we hit start the run up to Christmas. And then Eden Hazard retires and you the international break <laughs> is made for one not one thing but one topic that comes up every international break i think for the last like two or three years is prime salah versus prime hazard it dominates twitter after about two days when everyone's bored and they just need to get their arguments out um this week it's been even more pronounced because of course like i said eden hazard has now officially tired from the beautiful game so the compilations of the tricks and the goals and the winks have been absolutely dominating my timeline for the last two weeks. But, um, Strides, I'll get your opinion on him as a player first, but I just want to go through his rap sheet because it is substantial. Like, he's one of the best players of the last 10, 15 years. Um, he started off in Lille in France. He became the first non-French player to win the Young Player of the Year twice in the French League. And then the youngest player to ever win the French player of the year as Lille secured their League and Cup double. He finishes off that season on a high. He puts out the tweet. He secures his move to the Champions League winners. That is Chelsea, where I think every major team in Europe, especially the Premier League, given our financial dominance, wanted him. And he gets two Premier Leagues, two Europa Leagues, one FA Cup, one Carling slash Carabao slash whatever it was called back then. Um, individually, he won. He was in the Premier League Team of the Year four times. He was in the Chelsea Player of the Season four times. And then he was the Premier League Player of the Year back in 2014-15 when Chelsea won the league under Mourinho. And our game plan was very much like it was under Conte and Sarri. Get the ball to Eden and let him figure it all out. Um, so Eden Hazard has this incredibly storied Chelsea career. 
like I say, I think for that period of time, he was Mr. Chelsea, our number one man. No one else could touch him. Um, he finishes off his career by single-handedly destroying Arsenal in the Europa League final. 4-1 win, he gets a goal, two goals and an assist. And he gets himself his dream move to Real Madrid. Now, he only had a year left on his contract, but that deal was worth under worth up to €150 million, Euros, which still boggles my mind to this day. And I don't think there was... There's only one move that you could judge was worse than that. And I think even though it's debatable, which is Coutinho to Barcelona, because Eden Hazard, up to the end of his Chelsea career, amazing. As soon as he gets to Real Madrid, it just goes straight downhill. It was marred by injuries, lack of fitness. He was never truly the same player. So over his four years at Madrid, he had 76 appearances. I think he it was something stupid, like he finished the 90-something like six times in those 76. He had seven goals. He had 12 assists. And I think to top it all off with the worst bit of it all, not a single minute was played in the El Clasico for him. Like a Real Madrid signing, not getting one single minute against... Barcelona is um, hellacious. He agrees to move because he's not agrees to cancel his contract a year early because he's not getting any game time. And he had offers apparently from MLS, from Saudi, and he rejected them all, said he'd rather not play than go there. Whether that's from a family personal standpoint, I think it's very well known that he loves living in Madrid now with his family, or his body simply wasn't going to cope anyways. Who knows? But... Strikes, before we get really into dissecting Eden's career, because I think we, we can have these discussions now that it is officially over. When you think of Eden Hazard, what are the first thoughts that come into your mind? To be honest with you, when I think of Hazard, the first thing I think is how he broke my heart at Stamford Bridge. Uh, the season where he pretty much did nothing and then decided to turn up and spin Eric Dyer and bend it in the top corner. That's what I think about when I think of Eden Hazard. And I think... He's had so many moments in the Premier League. You think of the goal against Arsenal when he completely bodied Coquelin, ripped Koscielny a new one before putting it in the back of the net. He was, at that time, the best player in the Premier League. Magic goals, the goal at Anfield when he's taken on the whole team and, and smashed it in. Like Hazard was the best player in the league and I think that move to Madrid at the time was fully justified. Um, maybe the price of, of the fee, the fee was a bit bit much considering he had a year left on his contract but he was the Galactico signing he was taking the number seven shirt at Real Madrid that obviously Ronaldo had for all those years so it was a big bit of pressure but I think ultimately at that time he was the best in the league um, so his his career and how it went kind of downhill from that after that move was it's just astonishing for me because I think I expected him to go to Madrid and, and set, set the Bernabeu alight and set the league alight so I think you look at Hazard and you think like he had all the ability, all the talent, but his career ended on a sour note. And I didn't even know that stat about he hadn't played a single minute in a Classico game. You know, that's the biggest game in arguably in, in world football. So for that to to kind of like be a stat is, is, is amazing uh, in itself. And I guess there's a bit of like disappointment for Hazard. He's one of my favourite players to ever play in the Premier League, despite being a Chelsea player, just for like, how he was on the ball, how he imp influenced games, how he was, like you said, the go-to man, give Hazard the ball and something will happen. Um, but he, he he was 
kind of, you know, disrupted with loads of injuries during his time. And I think that affected him. And, you know, he turned up to Real Madrid 5kg overweight. He even admitted himself, you can't do that. So I think part of it is obviously unbelievable talent. He has achieved a lot in his career, but it's ended in such a in such a way that you kind of always think, well, as good as Hazard was, can he be remembered or can he go down as a great? I'm not, I'm not so sure. That's a really interesting point. That is a really interesting point. I think we definitely need to cover that later. I think when I think of Eden, obviously, like I say, like I, so he came to Chelsea in 2012. So I was 17 going on then. And I watched him for eight years, just get, he just dribble, just constantly dribble. Like he was someone that always wanted the ball. He would always try and do something with it. He got the absolute shit kicked out of him. So another Eden Hazard stat. So between 2011 and 2021, he was the most fouled player in the world. He was, well, for those that actually count those stats at the time. So he was fouled in a 10-year period, apparently 1,030 times, which is more than 200 times than Neymar, who was second on the list. So he was getting kicked 20% more than the second fouled player, most fouled player. Like, it. whenever I watched Eden, like, he was that guy that just, it's like you said, he was the the magic moment man. He was never consistent. Like, you talk about the 5kg overweight. He was a lazy trainer. Like, John O'Reed McHale said in an interview, he barely did anything all week. Like, they do the fitness sessions and he'd be looking to get out of them instantly. He didn't care for his diet. So there was a burger van just outside Cobham, Chelsea's training ground. Chelsea had to ask them to close down or to, I know, I think actually it was to not serve Eden because he would go there pretty much every day after training and go get a burger. I He refused to press. He refused to track back for his fullback. And yet I couldn't love him more because he, like, like you say, the goal's against Liverpool, like both the one way smashes it after just absolutely embarrassing Moreno or the one way just takes on five of them and just slots it in the bottom corner. Obviously the Spurs goal, like you said it yourself, that's the first memory you come from Hazard as a Chelsea fan. Like he did absolutely nothing that year. You're absolutely right. Him, Sesk and Diego Costa the year after winning the league did nothing. And yet they turned up on that battle of the bridge to stop Spurs winning the league. Like that was insane. Um, the goal against West Ham, where he just decided, oh, there's five people in front of me. Now there's not. I'm scoring. Like I'm just walking past you all. Um, I couldn't be more effusive in my praise for him. I think we talk a lot about footballers these days and how to attack properly, like all these pressing systems, all these like combination plays, blah, blah, blah. And he was the player that just went, oh, yeah, just he will do it all. You operate entirely around him. He will do everything. He will get you goals that you need. You just defend for him. Like, and it was really strange. I don't know if you ever read this article, but um, Yaya Torre did it. And it must have been maybe at the end of his Chelsea career, or the start of his um, Madrid one, where he wrote an entire article about how he uses his ass to dribble better. And to keep players away from him, which was the funniest read I think I've ever had in a while when it comes to football. But it's it's just stuff like that. Like people were going in so depth into him, so depth in depth about how a five foot seven, not very well built lad was getting the absolute hell kicked out of him. Like he would put photos on Instagram about 
like his ankles being completely cut up and bloodied, but he was still playing. He would still stay on. So, I mean, Stride, you said it himself, yourself. There was definitely a period of time for Hazard where he was the quote-unquote the third guy behind Messi and Ronaldo, best player in the Premier League. And how close do you actually think he was to those two? Like, And I I know he was far away. Let's be completely honest. Like, No one was touching those two greatest of all time players. But when it came to being the third guy, do you think he was all, like, basically the closest we ever saw when those two were in their pomp? Or was it someone like a Neymar or a Suarez when he was at his heights or even a Salah towards the end of them? I would say Neymar. Him and Neymar were kind of the, the next two. But I think because obviously Neymar was playing at Barcelona with Messi, you know, like Messi and Ronaldo, like they were just on a different planet But at the time. But obviously Neymar was playing with, with Messi. So he had that advantage and playing with, with Suarez as well. I think Hazard was kind of like a, it wasn't a one-man team because Chelsea did have a good team, but he was the main man. He was the go-to guy. He was the player that, you know, if if he wanted something to happen, give the ball to Hazard. And I think for the other opposition team, it was like, if you can stop Hazard, you, you're giving yourself a chance. And I think when you, when you become that player, then you have to be regarded as like the next best. And you have to be put in that conversation. I think obviously Salah has had his moments as well. Like... But, you know, there's always debates about Salah and Hazard, like who's better, who's who's like, we know statistically Salah, since he's come back to the Premier League, has been unbelievable. The, his goals, his assists, his impact on games, you know, ridiculous. Um, but I think as a natural footballer, I think Hazard is clear of Salah. I think if you're talking about longevity, if you're talking about kind of his, his impact in terms of numbers, because Salah... It's every season is getting you 20 goals. He's getting you double figures in assists. He's having impacts in big games. So I think for that reason, obviously, that's where the debate comes from. But as a pure footballer, Hazard was probably the next best other than, other than um, you know, from Messi and Ronaldo. You put Hazard in that conversation, you put Neymar in that conversation, and then probably like your, your Suarez, Benzema and players like that. So I can't speak highly enough of Hazard, man. Like I'm, I'm a, as I said, I'm a big fan of Hazard. And I think it's a shame that his career ended the way it did, but people can't forget about how good he was at Chelsea because he genuinely was the best in the league and pushing to sort of the Messi-Ronaldo levels. Yeah, no, I I actually could not agree more with you, which is weird, like Chelsea and Spurs fans agreeing this much. But um, I, when I look at Hazard, I'd like to say, I think there are there are quite big negatives, like... Let's be honest, he, was, he wasn't great in the Champions League. Like Once you got out of the group stages, he was not the Eden Hazard of Eden Hazards that we know. Like The bigger teams knew. Move everyone over to his side, double up on him. Like I remember in a United game, this is in the league, but it still speaks to him. Like, they had Ander Herrera on him for 90 minutes. Like He just followed him everywhere. And that speaks to Eden's Haz- Eden Hazard's impact, but he couldn't get off him. And in the Champions League, I think that was more pronounced. He never really had the man-to-man treatment like Herrera gave him, but he could not escape that extra protection with that extra quality. And it's something that will always be held against Eden, whether or not it's fair, but it always will. And this is football, so it doesn't really matter if it's fair. Uh, Chelsea won the Champions League the year he before he came. Didn't win it during. I think they got to the semi-finals once whilst he was there. And two years after he leaves, he they win it again. 
Like, it's just, they're the things that bring him down, like you say, because you then go to Madrid, you get your big money move. And Madrid kept paying out when they won the Champions League and they won the league to us. And Eden was not contributing. Like, 76 appearances over four years, like six and four 90s. Again, I, I can't, as much as I love Eden, the fact you didn't get a single minute uh, in the El Clasico, like, that's the reason you're bought. Like, Madrid, Barcelona, and Athletic run that league. We know that. Yes, play, teams like Sevilla or Sociedad can step up, Villarreal, but it is Madrid versus Barcelona with Atletico sometimes playing spoiler as that third team. So you're bought for those games. You are, And to not get a single minute on it, it, it does bring them down, in my view, quite significantly. Because when we talk about Salah versus Hazard, I think you're completely right in that Salah has had the much better career. And you can tell he is someone that has worked on his game massively, continues to work on his game, continues to keep himself at peak fitness. Like he, He's got the mentality that whenever he gets subbed off, he absolutely kicks off. He never had that. Full stop. He did not have that killer instinct that the Salas, the Messis, the Ronaldos have where they are like, I have to win football games. I have to be the best player on this pitch, no matter what. Eden was a showman. Eden was, I know I can do it all. That's good enough for me. Like, he's someone that, he was never really like a big club, like going out after work or anything like that with his teammates and getting, and just not focusing on the game. I just don't think he cared, like, to be at home and be like, oh, I need to make sure I eat right. I need to make sure that I'm doing this extra fitness work. He's like, I've done enough. Let's just turn up on Saturday and see what happens. And as much as it was maddening, like saying the seasons where he just was, ex- he was nowhere. You knew when he turned that switch on, he went, yeah, I'm going to go win the game for us. It was a sight to behold. I, I haven't seen it at Chelsea since he left. I haven't seen it in world football that much, I'd say, since he left. And... Salah is by far the more effective footballer, without a shadow of a doubt. But Eden was, I think, I say the better player. I hope like the listeners and yourself get what I mean, where it's just like he is playing football. He's just playing football. It's like he's doing it as a school kid and just, right, I'll I'll try this. I'll go see what I do. I'll go see if it works. If it doesn't, I'm not going to run back because I can't fucking be asked. So, yeah, like, amazing career. I think probably world class at Chelsea, but yeah, severely dampened at Madrid. And it will be interesting the four pieces that come out in like the next couple of years to be like, what is Eden's impact? Especially like when someone like Salah, who he's always compared to, retires. Like, how does that work? Uh, I don't know, but um, credit to him, an amazing career. And thank you for the memories, especially the Spurs one. I'm not sure about that one. <laughs> that one's still haunting to this day. Like sometimes you um you'll see it all the time, like oh when it gets to the end of the season, four, five years ago or six years ago on this day, and gives me nightmares, man. It still does to this day, man, because he was just anonymous for the whole season. But like you said there, if he wanted to turn it on at any point, he could. He's just that pure footballer, that the talent, that you know, he could, he knew what he his ability was. He knew he had it, and he could do it when he wanted. But you need to have that that will and that want and that determination, that mindset, and that kind of um, 
strictness on yourself and discipline to to look after yourself and he obviously didn't want to do it so it's a shame but yeah man we won't that 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 uh tottenham goal was just yeah it's a it's, yeah. a, it's a haunting one for me but now nah, listen you gotta you gotta respect players at the highest level and i think you know like it was it was a pleasure to watch hazard in the premier league like as you know as, as a footballer myself someone that loves the game he was someone that i looked up to and and, and wanted to kind of like play like and be like and and, and have the freedom to be able to, you know, go out on the pitch and, and try and recreate some of the stuff that he does. Like I remember that that clip where he's doing kick ups with the the um American football and just things like that. It's just it's effortless. <laughs> and yeah, man. Hazard's just yeah, unbelievable talent. It's a shame his career ended the way it did, but nothing but but um but respect for him and hopefully he enjoys his retirement, man. Yeah, definitely. Completely agree. I think I, that my last bit is that word you've just said, effortless. Like he is the effortless player as whatever he did was natural to him. And then as soon as it required effort, he's like, oh, nah, fuck it. Um, but look, we actually have football to cover. An international break means there are international games on. So I can continue to reminisce later. But we've got Euro qualifiers as much as the listeners all love them, I imagine. But um, Euro qualifiers, they saw Mbappe lead France to an away win over the Netherlands. Um, there was a bloody sublime goal where he beats a player at the top right of the box and just curls it in top corner. It was pure chef's kiss. No feedback, 10 out of 10. Um, also, side note, there are there are debates going on in France that if Mbappe actually has enough technique to be the world's best player on the same level as Messi and Ronaldo. And I don't know about you, Strikes, but that I think there could not be a more insulting argument out there right now like Mbappe's got it I saw a clip earlier in the World Cup final when it was um free all and he's just taking like three or four players Argentinians on on like the far side of the box and gets tackled just before he's about to place it in the bottom corner I was like oh like how how did you even get that far like insane insane yeah that's a ridiculous shout man Mbappe in terms of technical ability whether that's shooting dribbling um, we know that obviously when you look at Mbappe, you think about his his physical attributes, his pace, strength, power, things like that. But you can't doubt the man's technical ability. Look, there's never going to be. You're gonna, it's going to be hard to find players like Messi and Ronaldo again. But you got you can't always be comparing players. Sometimes you just got to appreciate what's in front of you. And I did I did catch that goal he scored against Holland. And as you said, man, just strokes it into the top corner. Lovely finish. And yeah, obviously, I I. I follow France they're my they're my national international side man I'm not really too too heavy on England so it's always good to see them grab a win yeah fair enough also shout out Griezmann holds the record now for most internationals played in a row 88 88 French games in a row and it's not even as if he's a Messi or a Ronaldo or an Mbappe where he is top dog he is just that vital to that team he continues to play and is always available like that is an absolutely fantastic record shout out him man um but moving on from france portugal they beat slovakia 3-2 where cr7 just continues to find the net relentlessly like i think people keep putting it up where it's like oh yeah he's played 40 games this year he's scored 42 goals or something like that and it's like yeah but it's saudi mate like we know what you're doing here like let's let's get on with it um island for those football nerds <laughs> yeah. out there um they are in a really peculiar place. So they lost 2-0 to Greece. Um, they play Netherlands midweek. 
And their best chance to reach the qualification playoffs, they actually need to lose the game against the Netherlands. Now, how they how they've worked this out, I have absolutely no clue. Someone smarter than me will need to explain that. But like how football gets to like these sort of situations, I have no clue. Um, then we had South America and Brazil. They were held to a late one-all draw with Venezuela at home, and Argentina. They won one nil. They kept their seventh clean sheet in a row. So the last goal that was actually scored against them was Mbappe in the World Cup final. And for the listeners out there, we all know that Toast is currently somewhere shaking his fist like Arthur over that Kolo Muani miss at the end. He absolutely hates that man with a passion. So shall you, Toast? I hope you're feeling better once you hear that stat. Um, <laughs> the, but when we talk about internationals, we have to bring up the fact that England struggled to win a game and thus everyone goes fucking mental. Um, so the English welcomed our natural enemies and the Australians to Wembley. The Australians aren't that great at football and the three Lions did win. They pulled out a 1-0 win, right, thanks to a Ollie Watkins goal, but it was not by no, my, no means easy, no means deserved almost. Um, see, sorry, so I want to ask you about this because... Southgate's going to get into his fourth tournament now and it's very fortunate that anyone gets into a fourth international tournament without actually winning it. Um, I see England struggling on my timeline like as I'm watching the game and people are going absolutely mental. Southgate out. This team is rubbish. Yada, yada, yada. Do you actually understand? Because I, I really don't. But do you understand why everyone gets so leery over a result of a friendly match against the Socceroos? To be honest with you, I don't like it's a it's a much changed side obviously he's given some players he's trying out some players that obviously don't always get regular minutes he's got the game against Italy next week which is obviously more important and I think it's like say it's a friendly game and I don't necessarily think it's um it's always going to be easy because mentally you're not maybe going to be there for a friendly as as you would be for a, a qualifier or in the tournament I think Southgate does get a lot of criticism some of his decisions I don't understand some players that he picks some players that aren't in the squad etc but if you look at the facts he's been England's most successful manager in in my lifetime anyway he's got him to a semi-final and a final um, yes, England have got a very good squad and obviously there are question marks over how he uses the squad if he's it's been utilised correctly, but I don't think that the right thing to do is to be going off on one about a friendly against Australia. That's not really important. Of course, you want to win games, you want to build momentum going into the tournament next summer, but I think ultimately he's still trying out players. He's got a big squad and England have got very ta- very talented squad um, and it's not necessarily easy to to pick a team and, and to to keep everyone happy, keep the camp happy. So I think people need to just calm down with the Southgate stuff. Um, but don't get me wrong, there is pressure going into to the Euros. You know, when England qualify, um, they are one of the favourites, if not the favourites. And I think he'll they'll have to go in there. And, and if he doesn't win the tournament, depending on how it goes, question marks will be asked. But in terms of a friendly against Australia, I think it's just all a bit too much, man. He does get a lot of stick on Twitter and I, I tend to just ignore it, really. Yeah, I think... I, I- Again, this is worrying how much I'm agreeing with you right now. But um, I'm I'm very much self-getting. I think he's been successful. Like you think about, because my thing with international football is it is about results. Like your qualification is to get you through to 
the finals and then at the actual World Cup or the Euros, the only thing that matters is winning. It does not matter how well you play. As long as you get through to the next stage, no one will give a damn. Like you watch international football and the standard of it, despite watching the same players that we do week in, week out, is not great. Like I remember watching the French team win 2018. They weren't fantastic. They were good. They were solid. But they weren't amazing. Like the Spain team that won, I think it was, I think it was twenty. It was either two or eight or two ten. I don't think it was twenty twelve. Where they won basically like every game one nil. Like yes, they dominated passing wise, but they just weren't like absolutely monstering teams like we all used to think they do. Um, so I've seen Southgate, and you're absolutely right. Like some of the decisions he makes, like how Calvin Phillips continues to get inside, like. I understand Harry Maguire if it's like one of them. Like you can have your favourites and one and get makes sense. But Calvin Phillips to me when you've it doesn't. Like the guy literally does not get near the pitch for City. Like Rico Lewis plays before him and Rico Lewis is a right back. No matter how much we want to see him invert, he is a right back. So I'm at, like I'm fine with seeing Southgate like I think the thing is with England fans is they go, okay, well, we've got Harry Kane up top. We've got him surrounded by Grealish, Rashford, Foden, Sterling, Saka, Madison. We've now got Bellingham, who is the big dog. We've got Declan Rice. We've got Trent. We've got Kyle Walker. We've got all these fantastically talented players. And they go, oh, yeah, we, we almost deserve success then. We're almost guaranteed it. And it's like, well, no. Like, as you said, like, this is the best England team we've seen in our lifetime. And I think... It's just the way we must work as a culture where it's just like we have to bring him down. And then I think it's almost like Southgate's getting a bit pissed off with that now. Like, I don't think Southgate goes any further than these Euros. like Because you could tell at the start of his regime, he was very much like trying to get right. Let's get vibes high, guys. Let's start trying to enjoy this England team. Like First international tournament, everyone's singing, Southgate, you're the one. Uh, football's coming home again, right? Whereas now... He plays Jordan Henderson. Now, Jordan Henderson is playing in Saudi Arabia. He was a big ally of the LGBTQ community. And he's now gone to Saudi Arabia where that is illegal. And Southgate plays him. Henderson gets booed off the pitch. And Southgate at the end of the game goes, oh, I can't understand why England fans would do that. And it's like, well, why not? Like, you've, I can. Like, he's gone against everything he said he is. And I think Southgate is getting a bit more touchy now with the Calvin Phillips and Harry Maguire constant backing of them. And you're absolutely right. It is results now. It always has been, but now more than ever, it is win or lose. I don't think he stays on. So I hope he does win just because I can be proved right with all my mates who say that he's an absolutely horrible manager and we should be getting in some like Graham Potter, which after watching Chelsea's Graham Potter, hard, hard pass. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree, man. Like, like you say, we're agreeing a lot. It's, I don't know what's going on at the minute, but Disgusting. maybe it's because it's the international break. I'm sure <laughs> normal service will be be resumed from next week. But yeah, I just think, man, it's all about getting to the to the finals, and and when you get to the finals, that's when you're judged. And look, as long as in England qualify, they get there. Um, that's all that matters, and we'll see what happens when they get there. I think people are so harsh on Southgate, man. I don't understand it. I think, like you say, you've gone from singing about him to to slandering him and and I think that's just like English fans but you know what will happen 
when Southgate goes and they get another manager, who knows who it will be, maybe they'll look back and think, do you know what? Southgate actually was was all right. Um, but with that crop of players, the expectation is very high, man. So let's see what England have got, um, you know, come, come the summer. Obviously, it's a long way till then, but I guess the first focus is, is obviously qualifying, beating Italy on, on Tuesday and going from there. Yeah, completely agree. Completely agree. Um, we'll move off football now because we're done. We're done with actual football. We'll talk about the events around football. Um, Manchester United takeover now. United last year. I think yeah, it was last was it last year or earlier this year? God, time flies by when you're trying to sell a club and your owners don't actually want to. Um, the Manchester United owners they decided that they were going to start looking into selling their club. Um, they went through the same very similar process that Chelsea went through. They oper- they asked the same bank in America to run it all. They invited bidders for a number of time and narrowed it down. So same process. And it got narrowed down to two bidders. So there was a bid from essentially the Qatari royal family. So they were going to do a Man City. They were going to do a Newcastle or a PSG where the state essentially owns them. And that bid... so. They, I think Man United got valued at roughly about three and a half billion dollars. They were offering to bid double that, so around about the six to seven mark, I believe, plus then an additional 1.5 billion dollars in guaranteed spending on the stadium, on the team, on the local community. So, an absolutely blowing the water out of everyone bid. Um, and then you had the other and now eventual quote-unquote winner, if you can call that, owning Manchester United in their current state of winning job. Um, so Jim Ratcliffe, so he owns currently Nice at the moment and one other French football team, but they're a lot lower down. He also owns an Ineos sailing team, an Ineos cycling team, so he's very much around sport. And he offered less than that, but he was only offering for, I believe, the simple majority. So he wanted, I think, some like 51% of the club as opposed to the Qatari bid, which wanted 100% of it. Um, it's now come out that the Qataris have withdrawn from the process. They believe they've got the best bid and it's not been accepted. Whereas Sir Jim Ratcliffe is going to apparently win this. It's going to a vote with the board. He'll be buying a quarter of the club for, I think it's roughly one and a half to $2 billion dollars with the expectation that he will then take over the footballing side, the sporting side, the fun side, and there will be a process for him to eventually buy the remaining shares he will need for a majority. Um, so, Scrides, uh, Manchester United fans, if you're a Manchester United fan, you hate the Glazers. That is a complete crossover. There's no way you can get away from that. And you're seeing what Man City have done over the last decade, 15 years with their owners. You're seeing how PSG have done over the last decade. You've seen now just how Newcastle have improved with these nation states running it. And you're seeing your owners that you hate, that you throw out the green and yellow scarfs, reject that offer to give them that potential to go and bring in a man who has run a football club in Nice really rather poorly. Um, if you were a United fan now, how would you feel? Mate, I'd be fuming. Like, literally, yeah. If I'm a United fan, that next home game, after the international break, there's protests, all sorts going on. Like, I know they've done that. There's been previous, but this is just, like, unbelievable. Obviously, the bid itself, double 
the club's worth. They reject it. Like, realistically, if that Sheikh Jassim did get his wishes and, and took over, United would be elevated into, like you say, a Man City, a PSG type. Um, and for them, obviously, it would be exciting. You get rid of the Glazers and you're getting a whole load of money pumped into the club. All the debt cleared, like... It would be the dream scenario for them after obviously all these years of wanting the Glazers out. So I guess like, yeah, you'd just be fuming and you'd, you'd want you'd want to do something about it. I guess the problem is with the Glazers, we know what what they're there for. Man United, in terms of revenues, it, it's it's all about money for them. They don't pump any money into the club. And look, it is in the day a football club is a business, but for as a fan, we don't really care about that side of things. So yeah, I guess it, it's just really just a lot of fan like United fans that I know, even present trial would have been excited with the prospect of being taken over and like the fact that it's not happening, it's going to or Jim Radcliffe is buying a quarter of the club. Obviously it's it's a it's a tough one that one to take, but I guess they'll probably be outroared, they'll be up um outrage at the next few games and I'm sure you'll see more protests over the over the coming weeks. Yeah, no, it is like there are hints of it now at Chelsea with Bowley. And initially I was in denial and I'm like, right, I've got to see more of this. But I think the difference is, is um, I don't know if you remember when in the summer United kept on saying, we've got FFP concerns, we cannot spend that much. Now, don't get me wrong, they then went and spent, what was it, 80 million on Hoyland, 50 million on Onana, 50 million on Mason Mount, but I digress. But they were kept on saying we have FFP concerns. That's why we've got to get Amrabat in on loan and all this rubbish and Region. Um, I've recently found this out because I didn't actually realise that with FFP, um, there's a certain amount that your owner can inject to help you out, basically. So that is essentially, I think someone worked out, it was like you could, United could have had easily another like 75 million this summer if the Glazers went, yeah, do you know what? We will dive our hands into it now they could have if you think about that year on year like i'll compare it to chelsea like we had abramovich who did not give a fuck he was gonna happily pay whatever it took to win whereas you've got the glazers and that culture drives down from them that football club they are not going to do what it takes to win at the top of the food chain so then you're not going to be able to do it at the bottom just because that's the way it's fed down and yeah, so I'd, I'd be hearing these news. I think it is. I think Ratcliffe is... I mean, they're both better than the Glazers, but I think Ratcliffe is the worst option. Like, you've got someone with a track record of running a football team not very well. And apparently he's going to bring in his own people from Nice. Like, I think it's Dave Brailsford, who is famous for British cycling and running the ex-Sky team in cycling really well. But you're bringing in an expert in cycling... Yes, he might be an expert in high performance, but you're bringing someone who is not familiar in football. He's gone at Nice and not performed that well to United. So, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. As a as a fan of another club in United's division, I fucking love it for them. Like, this is great. The longer the, stay, the Glazers stay in, the better. That's absolutely fine. But it is just another thing of, yeah, will the fans get valued anymore? Will, like, I think Old Trafford now leaks from the roof in places. Yeah, it is. I think it's just a nightmare scenario. Like, you would have had someone that, yes, of all the surrounding politics around it, that wouldn't have been ideal. And I think you can see some, like, Newcastle fans and you see City fans 
they sort of just have to ignore it for their football club, which again, is not ideal, but it's not a, like you love that football club. You're going to ignore it because you want to see yourself happy and not see every weekend ruined because you're, ha- you're losing to teams that you shouldn't do. So um, we'll see how it develops because like I say, it is up for a vote and there is talk of a possible legal battle because Ratcliffe won't be buying the lesser shares, just the main shares that it takes to vote. So if you own shitty shares in United, it doesn't actually matter. Um, but yeah, I, I hope they crash and bad. That would be ideal for me personally. Oh, you and me both, mate. And also, <laughs> listen, if if of the off chance that Sheikh Jassim or anyone, you know, connected with him does listen to the podcast, there's a lovely club in North London um, that, you know, lovely stadium, nice manager. Um, it's fancy taking us over, Tottenham Hotspur, you know, feel free, get on the phone to Daniel Levy. Um, and yeah. Hopefully, you know, there's there's a there's a, a possibility there. <laughs> Connect on LinkedIn. That's what I say. I think that'd be the best way to start that conversation. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> Last but not least, we have had the draw for AFCON announced. Now, it was supposed to be this summer. It was delayed due to weather conditions, presumably just because of the fact you want to get a tournament going in the middle of an African summer. That is absolutely fair but that is from an ignorant point of view it could be something completely different so we're going back to the traditional mid-year slot so 13th of jan to the 11th of feb so from a selfish point of view as a chelsea fan that'll mean nico jackson is gone for a month most likely um you'll lose someone like mo salah um like you're going to see a couple of prime players and it is going to be different like we have to get used to it um sorry because i was looking into this before the pod to try and educate myself because I'm not the most knowledgeable about African football. And I saw it just described as a tournament where, quote unquote, like COVID, anyone can get it. It's a tournament where anyone can beat anyone. So I think last time around it was Guinea-Bissau that got to the quarters despite being, I think, 120th in the world, something around that. Um, So I just want to get on your thoughts, really. Like, are you going to be locking into the tournament? I mean, it's free football for us. Um, And... Just what are you excited for? Because, like I say, I'm not a mass... I don't know a lot about African football, so I'm going into it with zero expectations. I'm ready to see some entertainment. I'm hopefully going to see a lot of great atmospheres over there because it will be different how we watch European football, you'd assume. And most importantly, I want to see that ref that last time round blew his whistle some, like, five minutes remaining or something stupid like that. I really want to see him, like, just to see what hijinks he'll get up to. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I think you hit the nail on, on the head, man. I think, you know, no, no disrespect to um, any AFCON lovers out there. Um, I do tune into it. Like you say, it's free football and I'm no excuse. I don't need an excuse to watch a game of football, um, but it's a bit laughable, isn't it? Some of the things that go on in that tournament. I mean, I remember AFCON, the, the most recent one, was more for the memes on Twitter than the actual football itself. Some of the, you know, the ref, like you say, the ref, some of the, the goalkeeping, the defending, it's laughable at times, but, you know, it's a celebration of African football. You know, you do see some of the world's best players, um, you know, go head to head. I remember the final last year between Senegal and Egypt. Um, you know, that was kind of the Salah versus Mane thing. Obviously, Mane came out on top. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, from that standpoint, obviously, I, I will tune in, but I, I can't say that, you know, I'm, it's something that I like, look forward to massively. Um, 
I, I've always had like a, a soft spot for Nigeria. Like one of my good friends is Nigerian, so I kind of look out for their for them um, more than more than any other team. Shout out Toast, but um, but yeah, I think for me it's just like it's more just like the entertainment factor of things and um, more than the football itself. Yeah, no. Well, let, let's hope so, man. Like I think it's always something like I think. Infantino has been desperate to try and spread the wealth with FIFA and try and get these lesser tournaments. Well, I say lesser, lesser in like our part of the world to try and get them more coverage, try and get them with some higher acclaim. And this is where we now see the results of that. Let's We see the impact of these um, initiatives. So, yeah, like I say, like, I just want to see some sparks fly and it's international football like we'll get midweek football constantly like we will be out watch football every day listeners come on like why that's not a bad thing is it um i don't want to rant that's a really weird rant but um we'll move to the bar we are done we are through the international break strides let's get you shot out who are you going for yeah man as i said last week on the pod for those of you who tune in on a weekly basis i'm coming to the bar every week and i'm just getting bursts yeah, the 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 barman knows my order. He goes, "You want the usual, mate?" I say, "Yeah." So I'll, I'll have it again, boss man. Yeah, this is a. I want two shots of tequila. Yeah, bring me the lime and the salt. One for the player of the month, Hyung Min Sun, scoring six goals in a month of September. Um, yeah, man, James Madison won last month. Son's won this month. It's like the trophies are just staying at Tottenham at the minute. So that's one shot for for Hyung Min Son. And the second shot is for Big Ange, Postacoglu, back-to-back manager of the month. You know, they say that when you win manager of the month, yeah, it's actually a curse. Um, not for Big Ange, it's not, because the man's untouchable. So back-to-back manager of the month awards for him, fully deserved once again. Um, and yeah, man, I know people are probably getting sick of me raving about Spurs, but it's only right that, you know, I shout out them two for what is a, a, a good achievement. I mean, I'm I'm definitely getting sick of it, but at the same time, it's like you have Hazard. I, f- I fucking love Big Ange. <laughs> I, I genuinely love Big Ange in it. I absolutely hate how much I love Big Ange, but I think he's great. I think he's generally great, not just for football, but just as a guy. Like, I think I'd really enjoy going out for like a pint with him or something like that, which is a... I mean, I look at most managers these days. I'm like, if someone said I had to go for a pint with someone like Eddie Howe, I'd be fucking fuming that I'd have to waste my time doing that. Whereas Big Ange would be like, yeah, down, let's get <laughs> let's get some Fosters down and see what we can do. Um, I mean, it's the man we've been we spoke mo- a lot of this pod speaking about. It is a celebration shot for Eden Hazard. What a man! What a man! Just gave me so many great footballing memories like an absolute joke of a player and someone that I think especially like when I was really growing up as a Chelsea fan like I had Mourinho years where it was like park the bus holding tight you then go through to the Ancelotti years where you've got goals 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 but from like I know it's Drogba and Lampard but he Hazard was that first of like the new wave like we we hadn't seen someone like him in a Chelsea shirt since Robin and Robin was gone very quickly whereas Eden stuck around. He gave us that extra year at the end and won us the Europa League by himself. He won games by himself. He won leagues essentially by himself. So, yeah, I hope he enjoys his retirement. I hope he enjoys 
just being able to mong out and eat whatever he wants now and do whatever he wants. Like he enjoyed it enough as a player, like really now lean into it, lad. But um, yeah, my shot goes out to Eden Hazard. Listeners, thank you ever so much as always. Yeah, man. Shout out Hazard. Yeah, exactly. Shout out Hazard. That I can I can end the poll on that. But um, listeners, thank you as always. Please keep subscri- subscribing. Please keep tuning in. We've got so much stuff lined up for you. You're going to love it. And yeah, we're out. Peace, guys. Ladies. Hey, Kyle.